uh, now a very long-term husband. And then I'm going about my day and just maybe uh, maybe I've gone to the gym and I'm working out and I'm not thinking about it, I'm doing something else. But, or I'm running on the treadmill or around the track and my mind is exhilarated by running and smelling the air and feeling alive and then it thinks to itself, why did I get upset about that? You know? The thought it had before that is how could I be with such a person that says a thing like that? <laughs> this is a mistake, I shouldn't be with this person. How could he have said that for so many years? I told him 50,000 times, don't say a thing like that. How come I'm still with him? And then you're running around the track and suddenly you have a thought, I'm still with him because he's a wonderful person. He loves me and I also love him. And this particular thing he always gets wrong, but it's one particular thing. <laughs> you know, but it's, I mean, it's not how you do. I mean, anybody here will reflect on the longest relationship you've ever had. In the middle of it, you have a thought. What am I doing here with this person? It's ridiculous. But it's a ridiculous thought. It's the thought of a contracted mind that grinds out a ridiculous thought. And you, and you can't say this is a ridiculous thought because it seems so real. But we get enamored of that. If you do something that relaxes the mind, they go, oh, wait a minute. It's not even that they didn't do it or say it or think it or whatever. They did. But it's nothing compared to the whole of the experience. I think to myself, I'm trying, what I'm doing with my practice is I'm trying to keep my eye on where it is that I'm going. This is all sitting instructions, by the way, because we're going to sit now, by the way. So imagine this. You are standing on uh, Lower Broadway, on 14th Street and Broadway in New York, and you're going to walk to 34th Street on Broadway, where the uh, Empire State Building is, because from there you can have a very big view, far in all the directions, see clearly. So you start, because that's where you want to go, because you want to see clearly, decide wisely, and have a happy life. But on the way, as walking, you start off walking up there, that's where I'm going, and the way is lined with movie theaters. And each of the movie theaters is showing a retrospective of your life, your life as a child, your current life, your worst relationship, the mistake you wish you hadn't made, the vacation you hope you'll be taking, all these interesting things in all these movie houses. And you say, well, I'll just stop in and, oh, well, I wasted so much time in there. Now I'm going back, I'm walking forward again. Whoops, I'm in another movie house. Come back, now I'm going forward. Whoops, I just accidentally stepped into another <coughs> movie. Every time the mind is no longer with where it's going and what its intention is, we've wandered into another magic show. Lights and shadows and old thoughts and misgivings. Is that a metaphor that you get? We keep wandering into a movie. That's confusing because that isn't what we went, where we wanted to go. We don't want to go to a movie. We want to go to where the air is clear and we can see and the view is accurate. So we're going to sit a little bit. And this time, maybe just two instructions. We had instructions this morning for just sit. Don't fight with what's come up. Try to be here. Try to feel your breath in your body. Try to feel and rest 
in the body and the breath. I like to think about resting in current experience rather than watching it because resting is just resting. Here I am, here I am, here I am. You float in the breath. The whole experience becomes the breath. Open your hearing and listen to the room. Feel the energy in your body. Feel the breath. Say some words to yourself that comfort the mind and settle it down. May I meet this moment fully. May I meet it as a friend. All of these things are technical devices to coax the attention to relax and stay right here. No movie houses. No old stories. And if you find yourself in a movie house, you say, whoops, I'm out. Here I am. Make it a relaxed experience for yourself. Mindfulness, moment to moment, of what's happening. Attention to what's happening. Warm attention to what's happening. And alert attention to what's happening. We'll sit a little bit. Maybe in 10 or 15 minutes. Somewhere there, I'll give you one more instruction to add to it to help you stay a little bit more alert and balanced.
Here's another instruction as you continue to sit. Some people find it helpful practicing with one particular object and sometimes even practicing with diverse objects to actually note with a name in their mind what it is that's arising moment to moment in primary focus. So sometimes when people are noticing that they're breathing, they might say to themselves, breath in, breath out, breath in, breath out. They're just really aware of the belly rising and falling. They might be saying rising and falling, rising and falling. And again, you might think to yourself, as I did for a long time, why should I tell myself what's happening? I know what's happening. There's something about connecting with clarity, verbally, with what's the action that's arising that makes that connection more clear, more exact, and which helps the mind stay buoyant and not fall into fatigue and get carried away by other than that principal object that you've chosen. And if you are naming moment to moment the principal object, it not only keeps your mind more alert because you're naming, but it makes that particular connection that all more vivid. So you feel it more, so it's like feedback. It enhances the contact. So I hope you've been doing that. Let's try to do that for another three or four minutes. And then we'll talk about how that works for you and whether it's effective in keeping the mind buoyant and awake. Try to do that. Have the experience. Let it arise. See what it is. Name it. And be aware of its arising and its passing away.
just before we open our eyes, I give you one more instruction. We'll sit for about 30 seconds after the instruction and pay attention to what happens in your body. This is a very famous instruction from Thich Nhat Hanh. And the instruction is, smile. So on your walking from 14th Street up to 34th Street, how many people stepped into one or more movie theaters? <laughs> so what was playing in the movies? Yeah, we'll run the mic around. Your hand again. Right over here. There you go. Hi, my name is Sharon. Um, the movie was more, it was focused on pain. So I, I was experiencing a lot of physical pain during this sit, which kept grabbing my mind. So it's like a horror film. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's, it's like a horror film. film. <laughs> 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 about pain. Okay, thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, of course. Thank you. Um, what hurts you? My back. Will you be better off in a chair? I don't know. I was fine this morning. Oh, you were fine this morning? Yeah, that's why I was sitting with it. I was trying to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are a few things to say about pain. How many other people had pain? Something. <laughs> it's a problem having a body, you know. Just, also, because they're so not so dependable. This morning, fine. They said, when I, "By the way, when I went on my first meditation retreat for two weeks, it was two weeks long, and I thought to myself, I was a yoga teacher at the time, and I thought, well, I don't really understand about the meditation. That might be difficult, but the you know the sitting is going to be a piece of cake." First of all, I was 40-some years older than, younger than now. And I was a yoga teacher, so I thought it was a piece of cake. But it was not. Lo and behold, everything hurt. One of the things to say about what did you do when it was hurting? 
I shifted. I mean, I tried to s sit into it, but um, mostly I just sat in the pain. <laughs> well, first of all, that's actually, it's not comfortable and it's not pleasant, but it actually develops a certain amount of steadfastness. So it's not a bad thing, it's just an uncomfortable thing. So we try to think of some other ones. I, um, well, what did I say? I recently had some surgery to, on my face to, because I had a malignancy there. And um, I had not known that it was going to be as serious a surgery as it turned out to be. And I wasn't quite mentally prepared for it. And uh, all of a sudden, I mean, it, it turned out great. This is not a complaint. It was marvelous, and, and it's all gone, and I feel very good about it. But all of a sudden, here comes, uh, here comes this physician that's about to do this, what I've just discovered is a quite extensive, deep incision, which I hadn't been, as soon as somebody says deep incision, the mind says, ah, deep incision. And here comes with a, 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 a needle with anesthetic that looks like it's a cake decorator, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and it was very painful. And here comes my pride that says, listen, you're not going to behave like an old lady, are you? You're going to sit really still. And what I did was very painful, really painful in this tissue over here. But I said to myself, it's just a second, it's just a second, it's just a second, it's just a second, it's going to be over. Look at that, you're doing that, you're so great, just stay still. And I tell you that because it's a whole pride-motivated thing, it's whole ego, for sure. But it worked that if the mind doesn't flinch, if it stays there and doesn't make a war with it, it's not even worse than it could be. It was just painful. That's one story about pain. What I usually suggest to people is to do exactly what you did, which is try to find a more comfortable way. You don't get extra points for sitting in pain. Uh, pain is very difficult to keep your mind steady over. I was showing off there because I, you get old, you want to show off about whatever you can show off about. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Um, it's another piece of vulnerability. Um, what I find is not so helpful when you can't move and or you feel you don't want to move is to. Uh, make mental notes that say pain, 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 pain. Sometimes I've heard that as an instruction. It's not so good because it's like more scary. It uh, uh, was more helpful to me to say it's passing, it's passing, it's soon passing, it's soon passing, because that was true and it at least gave me some courage. And we don't actually feel pain. That's the name that we give to throbbing, throbbing, throbbing. It's not a pleasant thing, throbbing, 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 but it's not so scary. It's more functional, in my experience, to say what it is. It's completely right to try to relax about it, which is what you did, and then to learn afterwards from it, you know. Well, that was interesting. What will I do the next time with it? 
When I first started practice, people used to heroically sit for long periods of time, not moving, and that was like a badge of honor. That's probably why that piece of ego stays with me all these years. I think it makes more sense when it's really unpleasant to move, to stand up, stand up a little bit, go sit down in a chair. The only thing that's valuable, I think, about sitting steadfastly through some unpleasant experience, assuming it isn't going to disable you or hurt you in the long run, is it's an experience of learning for the mind to, um, the long-enduring mind, my teachers used to call it. So it's learning to make, make uh, a truce with this imperfect moment. Say, okay, imperfect moment, imperfect moment, passing, passing. Soon sitting in a chair. I always used to say to people and to myself, I'll sit one minute longer than is comfortable, just to practice that long enduring mind. And then I'll change, be someplace else, do something else with it. It's not to get a medal for enduring mind. Also, I stay in a position as long as I can stay relatively mindful. That's another way of putting it. Because there's no such thing as mindfully, being mindfully hysterical. So if your mind is distraught, there's no purpose to staying there. As long as you cannot be distraught, this is going to finish. I'll be so proud of myself. I'm going to tell a million people this story about how I did this. And then you can do it. I don't know if that's so worthwhile or whether that's so full of ego it erases the whole other benefit of it. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> He's going to say it erases a whole other benefit. <laughs> um, a little a short story for context here. Um, I, uh, let's see, it's, it's almost 14 years ago. I, like, permanently hurt my butt meditating <laughs> it's literally not a joke this is a I'm true not story laughing. I'm yeah not yeah laughing. i know I'm i have it um i it, got about permanently <laughs> what's that i heard the permanent the permanent yeah yeah so um it was it was in retreat and this is not to like freak you out we're not uh you know asking you to sign medical waivers or whatever. It was sitting in a very intensive way and far beyond the capacity of, of my body. And, um, and I, um, it was really actually a blend of exactly what Sylvia was saying, of the kind of, e it was like young egoic striving mixed in with a, a longing for the Dharma a kind of longing to see what's on the other side of, of pain, a longing to see like how much equanimity and peace is possible even amidst screaming levels of discomfort. And 
um, it was a kind of injury and then it just became chronic pain, you know, for whatever reason. And, um, and honestly, if this, if it were anything else, if it were a profession or a relationship or a hobby or anything other than meditation, I would have given it up then. But um, uh, there were a lot of kind of lessons of that. And um, and it's like the the karma bell has been ringing for 14 years, you know, on understanding the kind of... um, the, the striving and the confusion and the self-harshness that made it possible for me to ignore certain kinds of pain that was clearly signaling injury. Yeah. And so the first thing we say is like, distinguish between the pain of injury and what we might call uh, dharma pain. And just... The word dharma, um, that ho- it holds a kind of special place in, in my heart. Um, uh, it's sort of like what, what Buddhists call Buddhism when Buddhism feels too confining, not enough, you know, when it's like, it's a little bit of a placeholder for everything good for me. So... Dharma pain, it's like a very familiar process whereby in the early months and years of retreat, it's very common for discomfort to arise. And that some of that is a function of the body not being fully, you know, uh, certain muscles not being strengthened or lack of certain kind of flexibility but it's also, it just seems to be a kind of the way that, for, for lack of a better term, like a, a purification process. And actually to attend open-heartedly to, to pain, so long as we're not injuring ourselves, is, is a, actually a deeply empowering thing to do. Now, we have to respect the limits of our equanimity, as Sylvia is suggesting. Like, we can't... um, There's a difference between marinating in pain and being equanimous with pain. Does that make sense? Right? You know those moments where it's just like... And and it's a little bit like what you're describing, Shari. Like, we're just, like, we're just stewing in it. And the... the, uh, yeah, the mind is, um, we're actually just like, just essentially reinforcing the aversion because it's too much. In that case, I, yeah, I totally agree that the, the directive is to move. And um, we don't want to underestimate our capacity to bear with intensity. And so just very, very briefly, uh, just a, like a few things. Uh, and some of this comes from my teacher, uh, Shinzen. Uh, so you can direct the attention away from the pain 
so the pain's in the knee and you can direct the attention to somewhere else, the breathing, to sound, to the blankness, the darkness behind the closed eyes. And maybe that's actually uh, sufficient. But if the pain becomes too compelling, we actually often have to move. We can't stay with some neutral or vaguely pleasant stimulation, stimulus. And so sometimes I'll go to the kind of emotional reactivity that's associated with pain. Even the way pain is defined in science, it's got an evaluative and emotional component. It's not pure physicality, right? So we have the knee, but we are having a whole cascade of emotional responses to that. Of, of hating it or self-pity or fear or shame or whatever it may be. But those, those kinds of emotional valences get tied up with the, the physical pain. And so it may be useful actually to, to clarify and bring attention to, to the emotional reactivity. And a lot of times for me that's just to kind of bathe the emotional sensations in my body with awareness. Then we might actually go to the pain itself. And sometimes we can go to like, not the the kind of focal intensity of the pain, but the area around, like in the, the penumbra of the pain, in the shadow of the pain. And so the knee hurts terribly, but actually the, the thigh, the quadricep hurts too, but it's less intense. And then we bring some of that mindfulness into the, the thigh. And sometimes as we become more okay with the sensations in the thigh, the intensity of the knee may relax. And then, and then we might go right into the intensity. And this is like, yeah, you're just, you know, that quote around being willing to be affected by life. It's like you're just willing to let those sensations just seemingly tear you apart. (coughs) And as long as we're not injuring ourselves, as long as this is not like signaling damage or something, we, we just, we practice, we practice just moment by moment, opening the heart to that intensity and knowing it with present time awareness and equanimity. And the way that you can know whether this is productive or not, it's all of it's unpleasant. Yeah. Practice does not need to be pleasant to be productive. All of this is unpleasant. Um, but you should, if, if the, the equanimity is the mindfulness is actually bigger than the pain, you should have some feeling that something is being softened rather than becoming more brittle. It may still hurt a lot. But there's a sense of like something is being softened rather than becoming more brittle. And that softening process, I, I mean, that has been 
probably the central teacher for me in practice. And it just, it makes hatred so much less possible. It makes arrogance so much less possible. It makes uh, love and connection feel so much more natural. So for what it's worth, yeah. I'm very touched by that. I think that um, that um, the the experience, as you say, of finding that in the end, no matter how fiercely we want something, we're not in charge, you know, and uh, and that the uh, that said actually in really really being freed of the kind of personal ego that wants something so, so badly that it can't rest without it, I need this, or that wants to show off still how great they are or how good they are. In the end, it's the ego is the last of the confusions to go. You say, this is out of my hands. Before we move on to actually moving our body a little bit, uh, let's talk about somebody else's movie, not about pain. Uh, Here's a movie. How about actually, anybody wandered, by the way, into a pleasant movie? Anybody went, you know, scuba diving in the Bahamas? Mine isn't a pleasant movie. Unpleasant. Sorry. Um, yeah, but it was a, a, a kind of an emotional unpleasantness. And didn't matter what theater I walked out of, I just kept getting sucked back into that same one. <laughs> and it's a situation where I was ill-treated and um, became very angry. But it was someone who I had to continue to work with and interact with over time on a regular basis. And I keep trying to practice with it, but all that happens is my emotions vacillate between anger at the person who both may hurt me and then dismissed that, and anger at myself for not being able to handle it or figure it out or come to a different position. I have reached the point where I'm not acting from those emotions, I'm just sitting back and watching them. But I have nothing new. Not like, maybe I should go to the gym, I don't know. But it's been months, and I just keep on that shuttle back and forth, and I'm wondering if you can offer any guidance about how to get beyond a place of being stuck with negative emotions. You want to do that a little bit? Because you did so good with the physical pain. <laughs> you can just refer questions about misery to me. <laughs> Not that I didn't have plenty yeah, of misery yeah. with that. Um, yeah, so let's see, a few things. Um, 
One is is just when things come up in in retreat, as they will, because it's sort of that's the logic of retreat. Like whatever is unfinished in the heart, miraculously just arises. Maybe not this retreat, but if we sit enough, in a sense, everything that's incomplete in the heart arises. Which we'll bookmark for a minute and come back to, because that's so tremendously true. You cannot get away with it ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, go on now. Mm -hmm. That's such an important point. So, So this stuff comes up, and there are two kind of orientations. One is we want to actually solve that thing, and that's okay, and the Dharma can be useful for it. Uh, But there's another, I would say, um, maybe more potentially liberating aspiration, which actually no longer so much focused about that thing and healing that wound, but understanding something about our minds and about happiness and about suffering. And so that, that there's a kind of shift that happens where we actually start to, um, in this weird way, start, we start caring, it is going to sound bad, but we start caring less about our life. And we start caring more about awareness. And it's this kind of shift in the heart where we're no longer using the Dharma and mindfulness and practice as a way of actually like putting out the fires in our life, but we're instead surrendering in a, in a deeper way to, um, uh, yeah, to a path of learning and softening. But that's a good one, the one you highlighted. And, um, um, so, I find it helpful in those kinds of situations to look at the ways that um, the ego has been wounded. Because to be, to, to be like often a very, the very persistent, recurring, compulsive loops of anger actually highlight a kind of wound to our self-image in some way. Yeah? And that may be very obvious, like it may be very obvious that somebody mistreated me or said, said something very dismissive or something, or it may be a more kind of like subtle egoic wound where there's some notion of myself that's being challenged by this other person yeah and when when it's a kind of egoic narcissistic wound like that the mind just it's just like the image i has is we're just like licking the egoic wound compulsively and sometimes that licking means um, hating the other and, re, you know, like sort of reiterating the whole episode in one's mind. 
uh, sometimes it takes the form of a kind of some vengeance or sometimes it takes the form of um, self you know self aggrandizement of some kind and sometimes in order to kind of get control of the whole thing we actually wind up blaming ourselves as you as you suggested like it's like it's better to actually blame ourselves and have the illusion of control than to surrender to our vulnerability and helplessness. And so... Um, I actually think, well, go ahead. Please, please. I wanted to say that, that point, because I wanted to bring both of those together, and about the, when you said surrendering to our vulnerability, what I think because we, the, the idea of we have wounds, we have been wounded by life, all of us. We've lost people we loved and health that we had and hopes that we had. We are all carrying around wounds with us, disappointments in our life. And some things, some things were so wounding I think when I find myself in a place where something is just agonizing to me, it comes back and comes back and comes back, I'm reminded of um, griefs in my life when I've lost people that I love very much. It doesn't finish, you know, you think about them and you feel really bad. My own sense of is when that happens to me, it's not really not that I'm welcoming it, but in terms of really getting it, that life is difficult. It's hard to be a person. Everybody is already doing a hard job just by getting up in the morning and putting on their shoes and socks mm-hmm. and going to the post office and buying bread and doing what they have to do. Sometimes I imagine that if I could see a big balloon over everybody's head with a, with a list in it of what happened to them in this life, this and that and that and that and that and that. And everybody nevertheless got up and more or less didn't run amok, goes out and does another day. And really, for the most part, when you meet people and you say, how are you? They say, fine. Because you can't stop and say, you know what's on my list? You can't believe what I'm carrying around on my list. And we're all carrying that around all the time. And the older I get, the more I realize that the griefs that I've had in my life, the things that you cannot fix, uh, sometimes, as Matthew said, we don't really, we think we're paying attention to them, but we're just talking to ourselves about them or feeling sad for ourselves about them, instead of saying, you know what? This actually happened. And whoa. This really, you know, it happened a long time. Happened a year ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago. 51 years ago and it's still there but it's alright that's what happens one of my friends I find I always if I'm teaching long enough end up uh, telling my conversation with Martha who died nine years ago now of pancreas cancer in the course of which she said to me I don't think I'm being a very good Buddhist about this whole thing so And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, 
I'm not opening to the experience. I say, Martha, give me a break. You have pancreas cancer. Who opens to pancreas cancer? So the whole thing is not to be mad at the cancer. She said, well, tell you the truth, I'm mad at the cancer. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, I can understand that. It's a really terrible thing. Just the whole thing is not to be mad at yourself for being mad at the cancer. There's truth to tell. I'm mad at myself for being mad at the cancer because I know that if I wasn't mad at it, I probably wouldn't feel so bad. Because she said, you know, I go around and I think, why me? Why me? I'm not that old. I don't have it in my genetics. I ate right. I took supplements. I exercised every day. I meditated. I did all the right thing. Why me? It's not fair. Why me? And she said, every once in a while, I think to myself, why not me? I'm a person. And pancreas cancer is a thing that people get. And I got it. And she said, you know, when I realize, why not me? It's not that I'm any happier about dying. I'm unhappy about dying. But I'm not suffering so much about it. These are the things that happen. And I learned a lot from that, you know, to be able to actually have compassion for oneself about, I really don't want it to be me, but it's me. Okay. May I be at ease for as long as I've got. This is what happens. I actually think that mindfulness and all its iterations, however we teach it, is a way of telling ourselves the absolute rock-bottom truth. And so this is how it is for me. And you know what? There are lots of things that are hard and painful. When I realize that about me, that I am stuck again in being a, a vain old lady, see, they're probably thinking, look how great I sat here. It connects me to all the vain old ladies in the world, you know, or, or the soon-to-be vain old women in the world. I'm not alone. Sometimes I think it's, it's funny what we do, all of us, to keep up something about us, how we're doing it great. We are all staggering along in our lives till the end, trying not to make it worse for ourselves or anybody. I think we're incredibly noble. I think it's really hard to be a person. Anybody's movie was boring and they fell asleep? <laughs> One more movie and then we'll move. Movie. Anybody sat with steadfast, calm, and unwavering attention? Not so much. This is actually about being able to know the difference between steadfast, calm, and movie. That's really, say, I'm in a movie. The movie, you know, just to know it. I'm clear about things that I'm in a movie. I have two friends who are Zen teachers. They're married to each other. And in Zen, they use a lot the expression um, of uh, realms, hell realms, fear realms. And they've been together a long, long time. 
And they say, mostly, we live together very nicely and we understand each other and we have shared goals and all that thing. And one of them said, you know, every once in a while, though, we get mad at each other. We're bickering about something. You might be able to recognize that. And in the middle of the bicker, they said, I think to myself, I'm in a realm. And I say to my partner, I'm in a realm. And the partner says, I'm also in a realm. Let's get out of the realm. <laughs> and then it's finished because they're out of the realm. Whatever it is, the annoyance of the person, the this, the disappointment. Let's step out of the realm. Out of the realm, the view is clear and the other person is just who they are. And especially if you've been together in a partnership with them for 20 or 30 or 60 years, they must have been really all right in the largest because you wouldn't have stayed there otherwise that long. That, you know, what am I doing here with this person is part of being in the realm. The vision gets skewed. I think, you are right if we move a little bit now? I enjoyed very much the walking around this morning that was walking around in here and in the hallway and upstairs. It's uh, 10 minutes, really? 10 minutes to four? Already? 20, wow. Uh, must have been in a realm. <laughs> Let's have a half hour of individual mindful movement walking around either here or in the hallway or in the lobby or upstairs or downstairs. Let's add something to the instructions for this morning. Instructions this morning would just take a walk. Take a walk, feel your body, feel how it is to be up and moving around, look out the windows, looking around, seeing things. Just completely take a walk. I think that these bodies actually are uh, antennae and they broadcast and they pick up. And when I'm in receptive mode, like going for a walk, my body is checking out the ambient air and the sun or the lack of sun or the coolness or the heat. And sometimes I just walk and I think to myself, I'm awake. I'm not in a movie, I'm here. And I'm just seeing and smelling and feeling and feeling my muscles move. And just walk around like that. Sometimes, those of you particularly who have practiced before, know that there's a way of moving somewhat more slowly and really trying to feel very precisely the movements of the feet as they leave the floor and touch the floor and leave the floor and touch the floor. And then I actually try, it's like sitting down and just trying to feel the breath and the breath and the breath and the breath. There's a lot of other things happening, but I'm doing the breath and the breath. It's the same, you can take a walk with your whole body and all the antennae open, or you can take a walk and feel the touching and the touching and the touching and now this and now this. And I say something to myself, Touch, 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 
getting ready to stop, stopping, turning, 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 turning. Touch, touch. But don't do turning here. Keep on going in one direction. So a little bit practicing open awareness and then focused awareness. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Everybody has any questions? Want to say anything? Okay. Let's do it. We'll ring the bell. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.